0: The Houston Texans collect. and welcome to another episode of the turn up for what podcast talking here Houston Texans straight from the great British Isles it's draft week and nobody's got a clue who we're going to pick it can't quite seem real that it's here but we're all fired up to go and try and change the face of this team so this is my conversation this week with Cody Johnson from the lead and John crumpler from the Texans, as we try and work out at each of the Texans top five picks, who are they going to take in the top 80. So this week, we're going to try and piece together what it would be like in the Texans war room. I don't know if that's an appropriate phrase these days, but draft room anyway, um, as we've got three picks to try and discuss. And I think, guys, John and Corey, do you think in terms of max value, because I, I I keep going back to the the thought in my head of we've got these six first round picks over the next three years and value is just so important
1: i honestly might make an argument that wide receiver has overtaken those interior positions in today's league it feels like the rule changes are pushing the game outwards and that you really do have to win on the inside i mean on the outside we're watching uh, most of the top teams and today they are they're winning with these really aggressive vertical passing attacks and the rule of design where you can win that way. But other than that, I totally agree with that's probably how the tiers would be. And to echo Cody's point, I, it's, it's quarterback and then running backs at the, the bottom, but everything with that, I think the Texans will ultimately trust their board because they're not in a position to miss on a guy because they wanted to to force a fit. I think they're trying to find good football players and build organically because let's be honest, I don't think Cal McNair is in a rush to win. He clearly loves what Casario is doing. And I think Casario just got to hire his second head coach in two years. So they're going to do it the way they see fit.
0: Yeah. And obviously you saw the Garrett Wilson rumors today and, a, you know, a number of sources, you don't know if that's kind of been dropped out for no reason, or it's just been you know put as a smoke screen um, to try and throw people off, which would seem odd because there seems no benefit in that, but it, it Felt very intentional, very specific that it was out there. So, yeah, I mean, for me, I think wide receiver at three and even 13 perhaps is a little too high. John, what do you think?
1: Yeah, I personally would not be taking a wide receiver that high at this point in the rebuild. Um, Wilson's good. I mean, Wilson's a great football player. I just think that with how this draft looks, there are some guys at other spots uh, Cody and I talk a lot about Jordan Davis. I think we had a whole thread with you one day talking about him. Um, I think there got, there could be guys like Jermaine Johnson or Kyle Hamilton there. Um, maybe the only guy I would understand at 13 is Jamison Williams. Cause I really do think he has that game breaking potential that lets you have, uh, maybe four or five play scoring drives where just the offense gets something cheap and you need points like that to win today. But I don't expect them to pick a wide receiver and I'd be pretty shocked if they did honestly this early on, especially with the depth of this class.
0: Yeah, and John, I think so. I've kind of nailed it down to these four players um, in terms of where we think or what I think the value is based on the grade. And I'll let you guys pick up on any points if you want in terms of how how I've kind of graded them. But I think Aiden Hutchison for me... um, I don't buy necessarily all the narrative that he's a he's a, a safe pick or he's low upside. I think there's there's definitely probably less upside because the ceiling, um, the ceiling is lower because the floor the floor certainly crept up further than anybody else. And if he is there, I think he's a no a no brainer because we wouldn't be able to sign a guy like that on the open market um, the way we, you know the way we're positioned and and the way we're kind of viewed around the league. I think that would be. Would you know it would be an easy decision to run the card and So I've kind of split it between the four guys. I think Ian Hudson being number being a joint a joint top with the, with uh, Kyle Hamilton, Evan Neal, and Ikea Aquanu. Um if it was would you just to go back on a point, um John, would you would you rank Sauce in there with the potential picks for three?
1: Yeah, I would. I like Sauce more than Cody. I think Sauce has Uh, everything I probably want to see in a corner. I wish he was a better tackler, but he's a really long guy. Uh, He's a willing enough tackler from what I see on film. And I think he's really technical and the kind of corner that could make uh, an immediate impact in our scheme. It's a weaker class. I mean, truthfully, if I was going to pick a defensive player, like especially a defensive back, I'd probably just take Kyle Hamilton because I think he's just a better player than Sauce. But I think the value, the emerging value of especially a number one corner and I think in coverage sauce is going to give you that I would put him in consideration too. He's also, um, I love how he comes off in interviews and just kind of energy bring to a defense. I think there's something different about a guy who is comfortable calling himself sauce as a corner. Uh, that's some swagger. That's some attitude that can really help change the identity of a defense. So for me, yes.
0: Yeah. All right. So what what we'll do, guys, is we'll say just just run a quick sim there. So we'll say, Eden <clears throat> Hutchinson off the board number one. Trayvon Walker goes number two. Who are you picking?
1: I would also pick Kayvon Thibodeau. I think that'll be the order. What you just said. I think it'll be flipped. I think Trayvon Walker is going to be the number one pick. I think he's going to balky this draft. Uh, and then Hutchinson feels like a logical fit to stay home in Michigan. Uh, I do think they'll you said you think it's got down to the tackles. I'm I don't know why. I I think it's gonna be a defensive player. I think that Desario is gonna give uh, Lovey Smith. There's a lot of incentive to this hire for this hire to work out. And I think a large part of that's gonna be on um, how Lovey's defense works. And these guys are pretty similarly graded at the top. I expect them to go with uh sauce, Stingley, Kavon, and with how the Texans draft and operate. It wouldn't surprise me at the end of the day if they took Kyle Hamilton, the way they preach about tape and character mattering. Um, I think they'll take a defensive guy.
0: So so John, in this scenario then, we've got an offer on the table here from the Chargers for their 17th pick and a, a second next year. Um, Green Bay, less value, giving us back 22nd and then two seconds this year, but having to give up uh, our early third. Uh, would you would you take the first trade there or second overall to second next year um to to move back four spots?
1: I might take the I, I don't hate that Green Bay trade because you essentially you're moving up in the third and then you're gaining a second this year. And I think this is a I just am more familiar with this class. I don't know about the depth of next year. I know all the stars are coming out. Um, but realistically I would probably I think they could get more than a future two for that kind of move up from the Chargers, especially um I'm kind of projecting the run on receivers to happen between sometime between 8 and 20. It's going to start, and I think it's going to be hot and heavy once it is. Uh, There are five elite receivers in this draft, and there are probably eight or nine teams that would like one of them. I think they could get more than that, and I wouldn't be surprised at all if they trade down because right now the value for this team is collecting uh, top 50, top 70 picks in this draft or day one, day two picks next year.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely, I think. I I take it, in this scenario, um, we've had Malik Willis come off the board, which I don't see going to happen, but we've got Aconu, Davis, Gardner at seven, uh, Kayvon, Thibodeau at eight, Wilson at nine, Johnson at ten, Jets training up to nine, Jameson Williams at 11, like, as you said, John, elite talent, speed burner, I think he's a guy that definitely comes off, and then Derek Stingley at 12, which, actually, I heard Peter King say that's been their guy, right from the word go and i think that it's a uh, it's a de- definite definite kind of consideration um and for us so uh, with that being said who would you in this scenario i think there's a clear winner we've got a guy sitting there on our uh on our top four guys at evan Neal's fall to this point i suppose if evan Neal's there at 13 not going to happen but um you'd obviously run the card in but uh john who's your kind of picks for 13.
1: uh i mean in this in this scenario, um, Jack Easterby is saying a quick prayer, and we're sprinting that card to the podium to take Evan Neal at 13. I expect he'll be a top six pick during the real draft. Um, at 13, uh, probably five names I come back to. There are two run-it-to-the-podium guys who I don't expect to be there. Jermaine Johnson from FSU, the edge rusher, and then Kyle Hamilton, who we chose to take at three. There's rumor that I think Johnson's ultimately going to be a top 10 pick, but No one knows what's going on with kyle hamilton if either of those two guys are there i don't even think you can entertain trading back i think you have to take one of them after that my third option is trade back because i think there is value to be found here and helping new orleans get the tackle that they want helping green bay come up for a wide receiver Uh, the chargers could be looking to move up too or if you really want to get fancy i bet if Malik Willis is still on the board, which in this scenario he's not, but in real life I, I don't think a quarterback's going in the top 12 without a trade. If, Pitt, if Pittsburgh will give you a future one to come up uh, eight spots or a two and a three to come up eight spots, I'm doing that. But after that, two more players. Uh, I have Jordan Davis just a little higher than Jamison Williams, and it's just because I think that you can find lots of ways to win at receiver. I don't know when we're going to see something like Jordan Davis again at defensive tackle. So those would really be my top five options for the 13th pick.
0: Yeah, and I think you're always looking for elite traits, right, Cody? I think Davis, you know, like we said, I think he does that. Again, it's a projection if he can do it on every down or, or what weight he'll play at and, and you know, can he consistently rush inside? You know, I think all the stuff out there that he can't is, is just purely false. Watch the Clemson game and it just changed my opinion totally on him. I think you've got guys like... Theodore that, that may or may not fall at 30, you know, and I think, you know, I'm, I'm definitely in the camp that if he's there at three, you probably would take him, but I, I think there's been too many people that we, well, I certainly trust in the Texans that said he won't be there um, because they won't have him on the board, quite simply, so that, that that's definitely one. Um, Jermaine Johnson, I'm not quite sold on Corey, do you think he can be a consistent, um, even front Edge setter. I mean, in terms of in terms of all these these tape, I think it all checks out. I just he looks slight at times, and I have slight concerns. But uh, what do you think of of John's guys, and have you got any kind of ones of your own that you think thirteen? If they're there, it's a it's a no brainer.
2: Yeah, I I agree with uh, everything John just mentioned. Uh, all the picks he just mentioned. I like Jermaine. I think he's a good good run defender. Uh, not the most bendy guy. Pretty twitchy, but he has a good uh, array of like pass rush moves spin moves stuff like that so I do like him the one guy I'd add and people are going to probably think it's a reach but it's it's Devin Lloyd out of Utah he's a guy that I've been seeing getting hardcore Darius Leonard comps and I and I can see it he's my number one linebacker in the class um, obviously I'd like to trade back if we couldn't get him but I wouldn't be mad if he was the pick at 13 either
0: yeah no absolutely I think I think as well what you got to remember right is that it's going to be it's you know, these are upgrades. I think until they're not. I think and that we've got to, got to find the value, at the right spot. And if it's linebacker in this system, you know, it's not been necessarily a top tier position. But we we'll need to find it. I've seen a, a mixed review on the linebackers class. I've not got anybody ranked in the top tier at all, certainly. But it's, uh, it, it, it's a crapshoot, right? And I think the fact that Casario came out and spoke about that this week, John, uh, I think is it, it perhaps shows he's a little bit uneasy about it. I think because. We all know that's the case, but from to come and blatantly say it, I'm assuming there's a sentiment certainly within the league and general managers that it's a little bit more tricky just with the volume of guys. um, And there's very few guys that have have given themselves any distinction with their tape or throughout the process.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's going to be a really weird draft. I think that's true. It's across a lot of positions that because of COVID, I'm pretty sure there are more draft eligible players than there have been in a long time. And then on top of that, there aren't a lot of super elite guys. And in the same tier, if we want to tier everybody, you can find probably five or six guys at each position that look the same. So we're really going to see what traits do teams cover. I think we're going to learn a ton about Houston and how they think they want to build just by virtue of, okay, like whoever they pick, we're probably going to be able to say there are three guys who look a lot like him. What does he do?
0: Yeah. So, Cordy, um ideal, I suppose, ideal kind of boxes ticked when we come at the first round on, on the end of Thursday, what would you, what would you say the kind of uh, essentials for you are to, to walk away with those two picks if if, if they do take two right enough?
2: Uh, I wouldn't, I don't know if I have an, like, an uh, essential or an ideal pick. I mean, I think I would go with guys like Kayvon at three and then uh, Jordan Davis at 13. I know they all have their, uh, they have their concerns in different in different ways, right? But, you build the trenches on the, on the defensive line. Uh, that would be good. I mean, I, I can see it going a bunch of different ways. I'm cool with a bunch of different ways, but that would be my ideal uh, picks, I think, uh, in the first.
0: Yeah, and John, have you got, got any musts that you, you need to take out of round um, one?
1: I got to leave with one defensive player. Um, the mocks that I don't like the most are an O lineman and a wide receiver at three and thirteen. I don't mind taking an offensive lineman at three, and hell, I don't mind either of the guards. I, I really like Kenyon Green and Zion Johnson if that's what they want to do at thirteen. Although I think they can move back and do that. Yeah. But for me, um, the turnovers really mask that this is not a very good NFL defense, and I don't think people realize how much help they need. Uh, so getting another edge rusher opposite of Grenard, or getting a true corner who every NFL team would be like that guy's legit, even Hamilton, just to give some backbone to the secondary, I can't really point to one foundational piece right now that Lovey Smith, who's a defensive coach and we'd all say isn't the future, but we're going to start to build something collectively like you kind of have to have faith in that head coach's process. And I can't point to one guy that's a foundational piece right now. We all hope that's Jonathan Grenard, but we're probably gonna to need to see it for another year. So really putting our coach in a position to succeed and in a position for people to start buying into what we're doing. Uh, so for me, I need a guy on defense.
0: Yeah, and no, I think you're right. I think when you look at the depth chart, it's, it's, it's particularly at edge, it's a rather sobering thought to, if you don't add somebody, um, which it may not be possible to do at 13, um, from the edge rush but I think it is the deepest position in this year's draft and I think you know as we as we look beyond the first round Cody I think there's a there's a trio of guys who are all very interesting I think with a boy maffy obviously David Ajabo with the injury um, and and Arnold Ebutecki, uh from Penn State I think there's you there's three guys there um, that are that are just that are potentially you know value guys to be had and I, I had Ebiteki down as a as a four as a three four outside linebacker watched a number of games because I wanted to gonna get, get up on Brisker because uh, I don't watch enough. And I think he he looks like a guy that could could do it. I think the motor's there. He's not gonna be flashy. Um he's not necessarily gonna gonna rip past the tackle on you know on every every third or fourth play. But I think certainly he's got a high motor, good athlete, good nose for the ball, and I think he sets the edge well. So, you know, if they don't get an edge guy, there may be there may be a chance to pick somebody up in the later rounds, which makes me think they'll go. But I, I think we've, we've got to improve the the pass rush, right, to try and make sure that, we, that we're we serviceable. Because right now, if you don't get one of those top three or four guys, it could be a long old season. And it doesn't really matter who's on the back end if you if you can't rush the passer.
2: Right, right I agree with that. And then just to touch on Arnold, I, I agree with you. He's kind of shorter and kind of lean, but he's got a great length for a size. Uh, so guy that like you were kind of saying not per, uh specifically a great run defender but if you let him just kind of penetrate gaps and just go i think he can do some stuff but he needs to learn but he's a guy in the second that i, I wouldn't mind at all too I, I like him a lot uh penn state just pumps out athletic freaks all the time and he's them
0: yeah no i think so i saw you talk about brandon smith the other day uh when you did some work for the lead and i think he's a guy that we talk, talked about and i hadn't really watched them a, a great deal um, of him but you know, I watched him cover tight ends, um, making up ground covering tight ends I think what's the important it's he's easy enough to stay with them in the passing lanes but actually make up ground and cover them. Um, he showed that and then good athletes into the ball, comes downhill hard, play recognition, Triggers gets you know gets downhill and makes plays on the ball carrier. So yeah, Brandon Smith was a guy that I picked up on. I think probably later in the process, another one that you know you kind of watch a couple of games. Doesn't you know depending on the angles you get, it can change your view a lot, right? But um, it's certainly one that that, uh, <clears throat> that 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 can change as the process goes. So and the thing, But in terms of the thirty seventh pick, um, Cody, who's who who would you be wanting to look for? I know you, you got a couple of guys, red star prospects that you've, you've got, you've got the, in your back pocket, but who, who are those?
2: I think if Andrew Booth falls because of his, uh, you know, his medical stuff and he didn't get to test, that's the guy you run the card in for. Uh, I don't think he'll be there though. I think he's a guy that the film shows on him that if he would have tested, he would have been a guy that you, uh, that's talked about with the other two corners at the top of the draft. Um, Another guy is like Jahan Dotson, and I saw you post a thread about him the other day, and another guy that I'm not quite sure will be there, but a guy that's a do-it-all wide receiver can do it. He's good to great at just about everything, just quite not elite and anything, just one of those do-it-all guys. Um, another guy I like on the offensive line, if we don't go that route in the first, um, is Tyler Smith out of Tulsa, guy that he mold, molds out kind of like EK McQuanu. who uh, he just played at a group of five school. He's probably a guy that would have played guard if he went to a power five school, but had to play tackle because he was just the best dude over there. Um, so he's a guy I like on the uh, offensive line would fit the power run scheme as a guard fantastically. Um, and then, of course, Jaquan Brisker. He's a guy that fill your strong safety spot, come down, hard hitter. Um, I don't think he's a liability in, in cover two coverage. Um, but I underrated... Uh, thing on him is you can see on film that he is very smart and gets the rest of the DBs into uh, into coverage or what into whatever they need to do right and that's something that from my understanding Lovey asks his strong safeties to do a lot and that's something last year Lonnie couldn't do and that's why he struggled at the strong safety position and that's why they put Reed over there so uh, underrated aspect to Briskers game but those are some guys I like at that spot.
0: Yeah, I think Jonathan Jalen Petrie, I think, who's who's one of those guys that I've seen kind of talked about as, you know, out of Baylor, obviously, kind of, you know, all the Baylor guys, you know, turned up in in some fashion um, in Indianapolis at the Combine. I think he's potentially got a lot of upside um, in terms of how I graded them. um, I had Dotson and Petrie both kind of the clear picks for for 37, a guy I'm really high on, probably higher than most people, Joss Pascal, I think from Kentucky, um, he's an elite group in terms of measurables and traits, so um, he's a guy that I think he's got inside, outside versatility I was on him very early in the in the process he's a, has a cancer survivor so he kind of checks all the boxes from how much does he love football because that's such a big thing that he's come back from potentially a life-threatening disease to, to come and play and I think I think the second and 37th overall you probably won't see him that high but I think definitely he's up there uh, with some of the defensive guys sitting sitting there I don't know if he makes it to 68 and I think that was why I was I'd put him in there but certainly the grade in terms of the scale I, I, I'd, I'd kind of Created as a basic analytic model, I think he was he graded right out as well. Smith, Tyler Smith's an interesting one from Tulsa. I think you know definitely going to trend towards a guard for me, but um, you know he's got a lot of penalties. He's going to have to clean up and and what have you. But I think you know a, an interesting prospect, and if we can get some interior help, that's potentially you know the biggest need. Um, you know I think we could go this draft, Cody, without taking necessarily that many skill players, but you know we could take you know three or four skill players. But if we don't upgrade the interior of the offensive line I think we're going to be in trouble because we've got to find ways to run the ball and balance out the attack so I think potentially you know, guard I had as my number one overall need for us on offense I think and it's got to be a big point of emphasis you think
2: Yeah I agree with that and you know I know we're not supposed to look at the draft this way but Next year's class is very top heavy with skill players. So if they had the foresight to see something like that and they've decided to just touch on like the front seven and the interior and then sprinkle in some skill players every now and then, I'd actually be okay with that. Um, but yeah, I agree with you. What you were saying, offensive guard is the biggest need on the offense right now. And then, uh, so th- yeah, that that's I, I agree with what you're saying.
0: Yeah. I think you guy like Christian Watson, the the is forward. I think you know he's he's a playmaker potentially, not as smooth in in and out as he routes as he can as he can be. And I think there's a lot to work. I think there's a reason why he's a second round player, but obviously playing at a lower, um, non FBS school. But I think he's certainly got a, a chance to, to be a player. A guy, a couple of guys. I like the defensive side of the ball. I think linebacker, probably when you look at the linebacking core, we've only really got two guys in Gruesy Hill and Kirksey uh, or Kirkle as. Uh, as Casario seems to refer to him as but we're gonna to have to improve that spot as well at some point throughout the rounds and I think the second and third are, are the prime spots um for it. Quay Walker for me I've got him ranked uh, the second highest um linebacker in the class and I think just in terms of some of the some of his play recognition kind of similar to Brandon Smith, away, but he's a big player. Um, you know, you could rush him from the edge as well, so um, he's, he's got a number of versatility um, that you could you know, could use in the scheme, particularly as a young player. You want to give him specific packages to come and operate and build confidence of, so I think Quay Walker for me potentially is a pick in at 37. I've got a feeling the Texans might, you know, go to somebody like Christian Harris, who's a bit more of an all-rounder. I know they had him in for a a visit this week and, you know, and obviously there's a a lineage there between Casario and the Alabama program. Um, And a guy who I'm not sure will be there um, is Logan Hall from uh, the University of Houston for all the Cougs out there if you keep them keep him local but you know he's projected as a defensive tackle 280 but i think you could stick him on the edge and he could rush as well on base downs you know if um if, uh, if teams mix mix it up when you're expecting the run i think he's, he's a guy that you could put out in in a three tech or you know a, or a, a seven and you wouldn't necessarily lose any production he could potentially be a star early for you quite refined limited tape against the run that was the only thing um, that, that that I noticed certainly from the from the games I watched but yeah Logan Hall I think he, if he makes it there um, he's certainly not got a huge amount of buzz from him but certainly some of these highlight plays where he knocks a guard on knocks a guard on his back and then gets to this quarterback for the sack the power element at the point of attack is, is something that is an elite trait that might see him catch into the into the back end but um, based on all that Corey of those guys up on the board who would you take um, based on it because I think I'm kind of leaning based on this board with Dotson because I think you know as you said I put that clip out there and he's just he's, he's subtle faint head head bob as he kind of uh, faked inside went outside and kind of caught, caught, caught a quick uh, a quick out from the quarterback against uh, Washington I think it was and he uh, he, he was just it was um, it was something that uh, I don't think like many players can do and I think he's really, really smooth he's route running, which takes, you know, a lot of young players a long time to get to. So Dotson for me, I think, so a pick that you, you, he would complement uh, uh, Brandon Cooks um, <clears throat> and Nico well and I think he could be the, the perfect third that You could play him in the slot, uh, but you could also line him up outside in, you know, four, four receiver sets.
2: Yeah, I agree with that. I think, man, if I—it <laughs> sucks to say—but if Jahan Dotson was like six one instead of five eleven, I think people would be all over him, man. Like, like we we're saying, he for his size, he's very underrated in the the high pointing the ball and has probably maybe the best hands in the class. And like you said, a smooth route runner, creates separation, can run the slot, can run outside. Uh, developed more as a wide receiver one this year as opposed to just being a deep threat the last two years. So he's a guy I do really like. He reminds me kind of a mixture of like uh, Deontay Johnson and Emmanuel Sanders. And, you know, Emmanuel Sanders had a really solid NFL career. Deontay Johnson's played great over the last few years. So if you can get that guy out of him in the second round, I'm all over it.
0: In terms of getting into the into the sort of two picks, I think in by the time by the time you get there trying to predict who's there, I think I, even after the second round become becomes really difficult. But um, in terms of the third round, guys, you had a, a number of guys that you were you you were high on. Um, my my guy and I I'd probably graded them higher. Here is uh, Luke Fortner from Kentucky again, I think he's just a really solid anchor um, at the point of attack, got a nasty streak in him, you see him running secondary players right into, you know, 5-10 yards in, in, in the backfield and perfect for power, I think he could be a day one starter at centre, I think you could probably even get him in the fourth round to be honest, but um, certainly some of the traits that you saw... Um, you know, a guy that you can pick up in the third or fourth round, be a day one starter for me. And then another guy I had on the other side of the ball was actually Dame B- um a couple of couple of podcasts ago talked about Martin Emerson. Um kind of went and watched him playing at uh, Mississippi State and I think he's a guy who's the perfect zone fit um six two, two twenty big prototypical frame, almost slightly too big, but in terms of read and react, understanding his keys in, in zone, um, and going attacking the ball carrier, uh, watching the play develop was a guy that really stuck out for me. But, um, in terms of that, just, if you see hypothetically the, the, the 68th pick, who would you, out of the, the board there, who would you, who would you be going for after?
2: So I, I actually love Chad Muma. Uh, I think he, he comps out to a, uh, I want, I want to say it's Logan Wilson. I might be mispronouncing the name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. From Cincinnati Bengals, right? Which is a convenient comp because they both went to Wyoming, right? But it's just very fluid. Uh, reads reads the plays well. Makes a ton of tackles. Probably the safest tackler or maybe the safest t- tackler in this class. Um, a guy that obviously, you know, played against lower comp, So that's going to be a transition, but a guy that I think you could put right in that mic and he can do everything for you uh, in the run game. You know, I think he can do fine, good enough in zone. I don't necessarily know if I'd put him at man on man on a running back or anything like that, but I think he can cover well in zone or well enough at least. Uh, so he's a guy I really, I do really like at, at uh, 68.
0: Yeah, I, I kind of struggled with him in a sense. I felt was a bit, of, a bit of stiffness there. I, th- I think, yeah, he is a mic. I don't think he's got necessarily the sideline to sideline. Um, ability to you know to play on, on either side in a in a four three. But yeah, I, I wasn't quite as high on him. And again, like, you know, you watch a couple of games, you might might change that opinion uh, right enough. But um but he's certainly somebody um that we got the, the highest or the second highest greed, joint highest group with Fortner, um, was Kenneth Walker for me. And I think I, I don't think he'll be there at that point. Um he he's certainly for me the best running back in this class. I've got him rated as um, only question I think is pass protection, which I think you know somebody like Robinson from from Alabama or, or even sort of Kyron Williams, who you know you they show and take that they, they can pass block, and I think that's really important um, in the modern day when you when you're sitting in so many eleven personnel or sets, and he's the only sort of uh, safety valve in terms of pass protection. You kind of got to have that on him. Uh, but I think there could be some value there. I think in terms of in terms of some of the uh, other picks. If it's if it's not one of those guys, and we're back on the board in twelve picks um, at eighty. Uh, who would you? Who's another guy that you'd like in that sort of range of the draft?
2: Now, now eighty is kind of hard for me. I, I, at least for the simulators I've been doing. I haven't really fallen in love with anybody at that pick. Um, but I will say, if he's there, a guy like Trey McBride. Uh, the tight end out of it's a Colorado State, I believe, a guy that yeah. I think fits what they're going to want from the tight end position, uh, mm-hmm. an inline blocking tight end. That, that's going to be his main role, who gives you, you know, some upside as a as a receiver, not crazy upside, but a guy that it'll lets you play. You play him as your inline tight end, and then you can move a guy like Brevin Jordan out into an H-back position or to the slot, which is what he did a lot at Miami, right? So I think you kind of do a little two-for-one there. Um, and obviously, Pep likes to run a lot of two tight end sets from when we saw in Indianapolis, so that fits well. So he's a guy, him and like a and I like at 80 uh, if they decide to go tight end there.
0: Yeah, and he's a true why, I think, isn't he? And I I was, I kind of watched a couple of games and you didn't really see him block a great deal, didn't necessarily see him do a huge amount. Um, but then, yeah, I went back and watched a couple of other games. I think it was the South Dakota State, was it? They kind of do that shovel pass that you see Kelsey pick up so many times um, from... Uh, from, from Mahomes, and I know you will probably draw Kelsey Comps, he's kind of in that athletic range, I think necessarily the best tester, but yeah, he's probably, with no headline talent in the kind of first couple of rounds, Um expect him or, or Dulcets to go from UCLA of or, or the first one. A, a tight end that I'm really high on, I know Jeremy Ruckert was one that John had kind of suggested, I think, and it was, it was yeah, I think he he he's a... He's an interesting evaluation because he, he goes in motion a lot. They live in eleven personnel sets. So there's not necessarily a huge amount of, of true tight end stuff that he does. He's more of a move in that offense, but he certainly projects physically to be a to, to be at least a U. Um, but he's certainly used as an F in, in that um Ohio State offense, I think. And I think the third run as well could be you know, a real kind of spot where there is some value to be had. I think within this draft class, they expect, you know, picks 20 to about 60 to 80, Um, all really kind of, all, all you know, much of a much this in terms of talent, and it will be, you know, the thin margins of where they actually end up. I think DeMarvin Leal's a guy that might even fall to, you know, to, to the 68 pick, and he was talked about, you know, top 10. Uh, but certainly when I graded him out, being that kind of, you know, less, but you know, let unsure of these kind of tweener guys that you get. You know, we talked about the the sort of three edge players that that may fall in a defensive tackle class. It's not necessarily all that deep. I could see uh, Leal being you know a guy that, that, that could potentially be there. You know, or even you know somebody like George Pickens who's been been uh, been necessarily uh hampered by injury and and a guy that you know you could pick up some value there but um, Brian Cook's also a guy that I'd like from Cincinnati as a box safety and I think you know if you look at safety I think Corey that's another position really that we're that we're we're, we're desperate for reinforcements I think you know M.G. Stewart is is fine, uh, but the, the rest of the guys I, I can't really see them being able to contribute, so that's probably another underrated position that we'll need to find some,
2: yeah. So, uh, actually, a guy that I just saw rising boards recently for safety position, at uh, JT Woods out of Baylor. Um, and I, I'm a Baylor fan, so I've been watching him for the past two years, and this last year they run a ton of cover two. Um, I think he would be your free safety. Uh, a guy that had a career year this year had five interceptions just uh, was reading passing lanes great you know just jumping on balls uh came down and actually hit or tackled a lot better than i thought he would this year so he's a guy that you know kind of reminds me of almost a grant delpit mold just his size and everything and the way he, he the way he moves not quite as rangy in a cover one but that's a guy i like that maybe in the fourth round uh Maybe you can get him a little bit later, but that's a guy that I think could fit this cover two scheme pretty well.
0: Yeah, and I know the guy Kirby Joseph was was obviously uh, recruited and, and signed at Illinois uh, by Lovey, and I think he's a guy that potentially could could fall into that production. I think probably outweighs some of his tape from the couple of games I've watched. That Illinois defense, not a huge amount of uh, s- stars on it. So when it was you know a struggling program in the Big Twelve, probably the you know the at the tail end of of terms of strength of roster so difficult when you're a safety and a struggling team like Brian Cook I think at times in that Cincinnati defence because they were up because they were playing well um, you know going to the playoffs he looked good at times and box safety is a kind of position if you get the chance to come down everything's short they can't move the ball they can't run it you're going to have a good day so you know the what games again he can watch can can change you I think slot receivers another one um, potentially John Mechie I know we you know we were talked about a couple of weeks ago that there, there was definitely a, a view for slot safety is there any guys there you like at that spot because I think it's certainly something beyond um, Philip Dorsett if he comes back healthy he's probably the only true kind of slot guy on the roster right now
2: guy like Wondell Robinson out of uh, Kentucky, a guy that super quick, you know, just uh, creates a ton of separation just off his speed alone, you know, can use some, some enhancement in his route running stuff like that. But yeah, it's almost like a gadget player. So you just get the ball in his hands and let him run, you know, not quite like that Tyreek Hill mold of, uh, you know, lateral quickness, but they're just going to burn a lot of people with speed and, Another guy that I haven't necessarily watched a ton of, but I've just heard great things about from multiple sources is Kyle Phillips, the the, the slot receiver out of – it's UCLA, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah, yeah. Just the guy that's kind of that mold guy that's uh, going to be that typical slot receiver, get, you, get the ball in his hands, and he's going to make plays. You know, not crazy, crazy athletic, but just really smart, uh, knows how to sit in zones and stuff like that. So he's a guy that also I've heard a lot about.
0: Yeah, and a couple couple of guys, uh, Sky Moore, I think is definitely one that has got some option there. Uh Danny Gray from SMU, I think he's, you know, got legit four three speed. Um, I don't know, speed's not always or long forty yard speed's always necessarily the be all and end all at, at the slot. Um, absolutely. I think John Mechivy comes back from the from his uh, ACL. Um, you know, to both the Bama guys coming off ACLs this year. Um, is one and I think even a guy like Trelon Burks I think he's a guy that some people are really really high on and then you never know he might be there you might have to trade up a little bit um, to the end of the the first or uh, I don't know if you necessarily do that for him but um, you, you might you could maybe trade up a couple of spots at the start of the second you know if he does fall um, because he's definitely one that, that, that's out there. So I think that there's definitely a lot of value and a lot of slot to be had. Khalil Shakir is a guy, I think, from Boise State. For me, he's really interesting. He's kind of a bigger slot frame. Again, I know people are kind of trending towards that, but you can play him on the outside. You watch him burn people in the red zone and go and went, go up and win the ball um, at the point of attack in, in the red zone. But I think he's a day one slot guy that very shifty, good route runner, um, and he's got some kind of, uh, lateral quickness to to kind of get open um in, you know within the three or four steps of his right which is so key at that position so yeah there's definitely a lot to be had there um Cody have you got any any other guys that you, that uh any position that you think you, you would like to see the Texans draft we all have them every year so.
2: yeah yeah uh, you know I'm not quite like in love with anybody as like a couple of players I was last year, like Jalen Phillips, but a guy I'd like, or a couple of guys I wouldn't mind seeing the Texans draft in like the later rounds. Day three is two running backs. I've talked about them quite a bit, but Abram Smith and Tyler Algier, uh, one, Tyler Algier out of BYU and yeah. Smith out of Baylor. Uh, Both guys that are, would be good downhill running backs for your power scheme, ran the wide zone at their respective schools under the same offensive coordinator, Jeff Grimes, who was at, BYU in 2020 and then Baylor in 2021. Um, Guys that, you know, like I said, just they're one cut back, so they fit his own scheme, but they're also get downhill and they're going to take your head off if you're in front of them, right? So guys that get you the tough yards, I guess we could say. So those are two guys I wouldn't mind seeing them draft. And I've seen them go anywhere from the fourth to the sixth. So maybe with one of those, that that fifth round pick we got, uh, we could see him go at that spot.
0: Yeah, no, definitely. I think that is Going to put it into a different uh, range. I think obviously we Casario before we started recording uh, traded up the, the sixth uh, and and the seventh, the seventh from Dallas, um, the 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 one of our three sixth round picks to get up to back into that that range. Um, I think you know that's a perfect spot for. There's a reasonably run deep running back class. Um, there may be some guys there. You know uh, Pierre from. South Dakota State or you know it might you know it might be uh, a complete sleeper as well because I think it's a really deep class in terms of when you get to the third and fourth round and where do you kind of sit on drafting a running back this year would you prefer it late and go after more premium positions first?
2: I would I would I would I think the range I would start looking at running backs 68 I'm not really one of taking one at 37 this year yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I'm not going to lose my mind if that like they decide to take one there I'm just not too fond of it I think I think people get confused with uh, needing a good running back or an early-round running back to having a good run game. That's just not yeah. the case. Yeah. It's just not. And like I said earlier, they're, they're not as valuable anymore. Their lifespans aren't as long. You know, the game is even if you have a premier back, you still do running back by committee like the, the Browns and the Colts do. Um, so it's just for me, I'd definitely like to see them go third round or later for running back.
0: Yeah, no, definitely. Is is there what is there one thing you'd you'd like to see them pick up in this draft before they before they hit uh, it? Was you see the what the, the most imperative um, player or position or kind of attitude or identity they need to try and forge through this draft class? I think people probably gonna get, and I think people will overexpect from the draft class because this is our main route to roster development. But at the same time, you know, less than 10% of rookies actually contribute in a meaningful way year one. There's a lot of learning, there's a lot of development to be had and that's, you know, for any round. Um, so I think people might you probably need to readjust the expectations slightly because it's natural to try and think, you know, that we're going to sign, you know, a couple of Pro Bowlers this year and, you know, you may get Amika Parsons in there, you, you may not. Um, the, the class would suggest it's not, but, you know, we've got, everybody's wrong about something about this process every year. And that's what makes it so interesting. But is there anything you definitely want to take out of this, this uh, class before the Saturday uh, final round wraps up?
2: So for me, I just have to see, and it can be either side, but they have to address the trenches for me. They have to either address interior offensive line or either a defensive tackle or an edge for probably an edge in my opinion, but I just have to see them address that at some point, preferably on uh
0: Day one or early day two? Yeah, definitely. And I I hope the character element uh, doesn't come into it too much because I think Thebado is an easy pick at three. I don't think it will happen. I marked him down on my scale because of you know I, I give ten percent the grade to the culture. I don't know if the Texans are overvaluing that more than say ten percent. I know that'd be an exact value, but I hope they're not overvaluing it. And you think they won't, but it, s- it felt like it got stressed in that press conference a little too much um, to the point it made you a little bit uncomfortable. And then I actually learned today that A.G. Can was Dylan Thompson's lineman at, a, at USC as well. Um, so that kind of makes you a little bit uncomfortable as well in terms of where those some of those decision-making forces and overvaluing character, because, you know, you can take players if if they're good, you know, players and, you know, if there's some small things that go on off the field, then yes, we Let it, you know, let it ride if uh, if if they're doing it out there. And I, I, I feel like Thebado has been unfairly, and I know a lot of media rhetoric, so teams will have one view and not another. I know there's been some, definitely some intimation about teams have had Zoom calls with them, Detroit um, and a couple others have definitely kind of spoke with them. Um, I hope he kind of, Bucks the trend or bucks the narrative and goes earlier than people think because I think the tape warrants it. Um, I, I certainly feel he's I, I, and I don't know if people just get bored and you have to create a news cycle, but it certainly always felt for me that it was. But I, I think there's just too many people, Corey, that have said we're not going to take them that you put opinions you trust. Um, and it feels like we'll probably overlook him and we might regret that.
2: Yeah, yeah, it's unfortunate, man, because he's like. <laughs> the media almost makes it out to like where he's a troublemaker and he's not like getting arrested. He's not jumping out of second story windows at parties and stuff, getting into bar, right? Stuff oh, like and
0: that. And Detroit, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
2: yeah, exactly. So he's just, obviously he's self-aware and he, he wants to create his legacy or his brand outside of football. And, you know, a lot of players in the nfl do that they just don't talk about it so i guess this is rubbing people the wrong way but and you know it can come off a certain type of way but so i get it but to the extent it's become i i don't think it's fair like you said the film warrants it uh warrants the pick he was talked about as the number one pick uh since the beginning of this draft process last year right <laughs> right after the last draft ended and you know maybe people just got player fatigue but you know, it would be it would be something if the Texans decided to shock the world and take Thibodeau because I don't think anyone thinks they're going to do it.
0: No, and I I know Albert Breer outlined they like Stingley, and I think if there's if you're going to take a corner at three for me, the guy's heights have shown that it's higher than everyone. Um, so therefore there, there's something that it gives you faith. You could project that if he can see that a, a, a route route that actually becoming a reality as a pro, and you think well absolutely able. Yeah, well, you know, I think he's a guy you can. For me, I think what we're talking about Theodore there, Cody, it's almost like the inverse is applicable for Sauce because my point is if his name wasn't Sauce and he played in the SEC and he wasn't going against, you know, low, you know, smaller schools like, you know, Tulsa and what have you, you know, against you know, the Cougs were a good program this year, but they're not necessarily burning people up on the outside, um, you know, UCF or whoever they might be going against. I don't think he's necessarily been tested. It's almost the point, what becomes the myth and the, the man, the legend, rather than the ball player? And I think I, I heard somebody put it the other day, I can't remember who said it, but when they watched Sauce, they said it's hands before feet, and it should be feet before hands. And I think when you watch him, uh, he gets very grabby. And I think a guy who's predominantly skill set is focused to be man cover corner if you put him out in zone year one you don't address the pass rush sauce sauce might be questioned and that that you know I think it takes a lot to to be number one or number zero whatever he is in his jersey number to have a nickname I know he's a hard-nosed Detroit guy he might come in and be excellent but certainly a year ago Derek Stingley was up here and he was just another another guy on the circuit so I'm, I'm a little bit concerned they might go that direction. I think everybody likes it because it's an easy name to say. It's an easy name to remember. Um, but I don't think he's tape necessarily warrants it. And partly because people just didn't go at him. So that's not his fault. And when he did go at him, he was, you know, he was effective. But handsy is hell. And uh, we've just got rid of a handsy player in a trade. So I'm not necessarily wanting another one if he's going to be giving PIs. Because I think the biggest knock on Stephen Nelson is he gets handsy. So if you've got two corners out there, a limited pass rush, it's not a good recipe for de- defence and this whole complexion, this class could change. So I would try carefully. Look, if he's there at 13, yeah, no problem. I think you can take that if you've got a more premier player above that. But um, but certainly for me, I think it's a difficult one, isn't it, to, to see that working out. But look, they've, they've done their, their research. But if you were taking a corner at three, for me, it's got to be Stingley because you know what he can do. He's just not done it for a while. Injuries, programme, collapsing, etc.
2: Exactly, man. Like, I honestly think if Stingley had played one of the last two years at even 80% of the level that what he played his freshman year, this really wouldn't even be a conversation. No, absolutely. Right. So, and then for me, like you were mentioning about sauce, man. Like, I don't want to knock the you know the AAC too much. Like it is what it is. You play who's on the schedule, but the quarterback play in that conference was not good. (laughs) Like uh the quarterback play, I mean, I don't think most people can unless you're a Houston fan, can name me a solid wide receiver in that conference outside of uh, calvin austin the wide receiver from memphis right and calvin austin 2020 actually worked sauce but the quarterback play was so bad he couldn't give him the ball so it's just for me like again like you said at 13 i'm cool with it at three i just don't see the type him being that type of corner that can warrant that pick like a jalen ramsey did and he was actually number four back in his draft class so uh i i agree completely with you if they it's i'm not advocating for either corner at that pick because they both have question marks but if they had to go on i, I prefer stingley
0: yeah no i think so yeah and no, i'm agreeing with that well certainly i think we're on the same lines we've got a, a few points tonight cody i'm looking forward to it's going to be great to be involved i think you got any draft night tradition setups here you'll be doing over the weekend
2: no, nothing crazy. Uh, the last few drafts, I've done something different, especially on the first night because we haven't had a pick, so I'll just watch it at home or I went to a buddy's house. But uh, no tradition or anything. But uh, yeah, it's gonna it's gonna be fun. I'm just crazy to think about that we haven't had a first round pick in two years, and we've only had two in the last five years, and then we got two this year, right? So uh, it's gonna be fun for sure.
0: Yeah. Uh, in terms of trades, obviously we talked about the New England trade. Um, today, uh, with Casario going back to his old, his old colleagues, there, uh, over under for trades for Casario three and a half for the weekend.
2: So, we're not counting this the one he made today. No, you can't count right. that. Yeah, okay, three and a half extra. Right. Yeah, oh, that's tough, man. That's tough. And this draft's so crazy with how trades have been uh reported and stuff. People not want to trade up, people do want to trade up. Oh. I'd say because he already made one trade, I think I'll say under three. I'll say under three because he already made the one.
0: Yeah, I think under as well. I think under three, I think for me, I think the the best value could be, I think actually 37 could potentially get you, you know, if that can get you an extra fourth and a third, say, for example, if you come back, um, you know, quite deep in the, into the... uh into the second that could be somewhere you get value because I think that's where it is to be had and we need as many shots at the dark board as possible 13 if you can trade out of uh, great I'm assuming he's resigned to the fact that three's a no-go that's why he said it publicly I think maybe just a one last you know, when they, when they say, you know, player X is about to get traded, it's like last last orders at the bar, isn't it? It's just trying to get people to, to come back to the table if, if they've got any willingness. I don't think that'll happen. Um, but certainly, you know, I think 37 could be a good one. And then when you've got two picks back to 107, 108 at the top of the draft, that might be, you know, an option. Thereby, you can you can get out and uh, if there, you know, a limited player on your board and get back in that fifth round because he's obviously seen some value in that area. Area. And similarly, I think when you've got a fifth and two fourths, if you look what he did with Nico Collins last year, does he want to get back up into the third and just and take picks because you know we're sitting with what uh, 11, 12 picks right now? Um, he said he only wanted to draft between ten and eight players. Obviously, he's moving up, getting some guys out of there, got out of the seventh. And usually, I know Rick Smith always used to say, that. don't want to be in the seventh round. You want to be focusing on trying to bid for undrafted free agents because ultimately, you know, for for an agent, you don't want your player drafted in the sixth round or the seventh round. You want them to go and undrafted free agent because their signing bonus is going to be bigger. And I think this year, there could be a lot of value in the undrafted free agents because I think when you think of this team going to develop, you need another success story. It might just be a Dylan Cole but really, we need an area in foster. But we need somebody in that range to just come out, and you know, the next couple of years, at least one or two guys a year that will make their way into the roster and start to contribute in some way in that undrafted free agent. Because we need as many channels of talent input in this roster to try and build it back up again.
2: Yeah, exactly. And I think John mentioned it earlier, but that because of COVID, how many players there are in this class? I think it's actually yeah. almost double a normal class. So guys that might go undra- undrafted this year probably Get drafted in another class, so definitely something to watch out for. I agree that I think they can get hopefully two, even somewhat, contributors out of the undrafted training class.
0: Yeah, I think so. Because you think of he said he's only got 80 to 100 players, um, yeah, that may that may mean his pool of you know undrafted guys is bigger, and hopefully that'll you know kind of bring in some value. But looking forward to it, man. Cody, thanks for the time, but this joint this evening, some schedule issues. Uh, trying a bit of a different format, getting some stuff on the screen so we can kind of talk over and form the debate. But uh appreciate a bit of editing to do to get this out to you all. But um, looking forward to it in the draft week. Going to try and kind of dip in and out of social media um, as best I can over the time difference. Definitely be on most of Saturday. Um, maybe do some kind of Twitter spaces or something like that, not quite decided. But definitely be around, looking forward to just being involved and seeing the first true step of this team um taking a step into the post to Sean Watson either which will be nice but uh Corey any last words before we head out here man
2: no I just want to say thank you for having me on again uh a good time and just hope for a great draft
0: yeah that's it let's uh, let's get better and uh and yeah. we'll take it from there and we'll see where we go but hopefully this is Casario's big test now um there's been a lot of failed ones um and this has got to be flying colours no questions asked kind of stuff so uh Let's kick the doors in the neck, or <laughs> this is how you're going to get judged now. So let's go for it. And let's, uh, here's the successful draft. Thank you again for everybody who listened. Really enjoyed the, the build up to this. I'm going to stick my, my board out on Google Docs uh, for everybody to have a read of if you want to follow along with that. Um, there's plenty of good stuff out there. Looking forward to it. Give us a like, subscribe, share it, comment, all that kind of good stuff um, on the draft and after the draft. And then we've got the schedule release coming up. And uh, there'll be a little break, but it's uh, this is the this is the big date in the calendar this weekend. So let's get it. And uh, here's to reviewing a new roster with a new complexion uh, come Monday. But uh, thanks again for listening. We'll catch you again next week.